Masechus Uksin Paragil Mishnah Yud and Full Paragimel Mishnah Yud Base. Kaveras Devirim, a beehive. We're talking about a beehive that rests on the ground, it's not attached to the ground, but it is kept in the same place always, and as such, there is an argument in the Mishnah whether we consider it to be like an item that is attached to the ground, in which case it would have the same status as the ground itself just like anything that is attached to the ground, even a house that is manually attached to the ground has the same status with regards to many laws as the ground itself. Or do we say that since it's not actually physically attached to the ground, it just always rests in the same place on the ground, it is considered to be a movable item. Rebeliezer says, It is considered to be like the ground. And there are four ramifications that the Mishnah is going to mention because of this. And the truth is, the Mishnah already alludes to one. When the Mishnah, when Rabbi Ezra says that it is considered to be like the ground, he is coming to say that when one sells this to somebody else, the same forms of acquisition that the Torah prescribes for buying land apply for buying this beehive. There are various different acts that must be done in order to complete an acquisition of an item. When somebody buys something, he needs to perform an act of acquiring it in order to complete the sale. And depending on whether it is land or a movable item, it would differ as to which act he needs to perform. And according to Beliezer, since this is considered to be like the ground, so one of the acts that are required for when one buys land would be required over here. The second ramification is a prusbal can be written based on it. What exactly are we referring to? So at the end of the Shemitah year, once every seven years, there is a year of Shemitah during which it's forbidden to work the land. And one of the other aspects of Shemitah is that right at the end of the Shemitah year, the Torah decrees that any loan that somebody, if somebody lent money to somebody else and it hasn't yet been paid back, at the end of the Shemitah year, the loan automatically gets cancelled, and the one who lent the money won't be able to claim back the loan after the end of the Shemitah year. However, this led to a situation where people, as it got closer to Shemitah, or closer to the end of the Shemitah year, people were not willing to lend money, since they were scared that they wouldn't end up being able to reclaim their money. And because of the situation, the need at hand, Hillel Hazokain instituted the concept of a prusbal, where one is able to write a document in which he gives over the rights to his loans over to the basin, to the court. And that's essentially a way of him being able to recollect the loans even after the Shemitoyer has ended, because anything that is owed to the basin, in theory, that does not get cancelled at the end of Shemitah. Now, it happens to be the reason is not necessarily important for the sake of our mission over here, but one is only able to write a prusbal in which he gives over the rights to his loans to the basin, to the court, if he owns land. If he doesn't own any land, then he's unable to do this. And the mission is coming to tell us that if the only land that he owns is this beehive, the prusbal, he would be able to write a prusbal based on that. Alright, the third ramification, and this is the one which is more relevant to the subject of our Masechta, the Enomekabeles Tumabim Koima, it is not able to become impure as long as it is in its place, meaning if it's never really moved, even though it's not attached to the ground, we consider it to be like the ground, and therefore it is not able to become impure, just like the ground itself can't become impure. And the implication of the Mishnah could be that it's specifically with regards to this ramification that it's important that the item is never really moved. It could be that for the other ramifications, it's enough that it just rests on the ground. Even if occasionally it is moved, the fact is that it's resting on the ground, so it would be considered like the ground. 
Now the fourth ramification is one who removes some of the honey from this beehive on Shabbos would be liable to bring a korban chatos. This is a sacrifice that is brought to atone for certain sins, including violating Shabbos. In the same way as it's forbidden to uproot produce from the ground, it is also forbidden to remove the honey from this beehive because that's considered to be like taking something off of the ground. The beehive does not have the same status as the ground and therefore the type of act of acquisition that needs to be performed is one that is fit for buying movable items. Secondly, the increase on their prusbal one cannot write a prusbal based on the fact that he owns that beehive because it's not considered to be like owning land. Thirdly, it can become impure even whilst it's in its regular permanent place. Just like any movable item that has the status of a kli, a utensil that can hold things, and one who removes some honey from there on Shabbos would be exempt from bringing a korban chatos because it's not considered to have been uprooted from the ground because the beehive is not considered to be part of the ground at all. One of the seven liquids that is considered to be a liquid by the Torah, it has the ability to cause hechsher, to make a food item fit to become impure if it comes into contact with that liquid. One of the seven liquids is honey. That having been said, as long as the honey is attached to the honeycomb, it has the status of a solid food, just like the honeycomb itself is considered to be a food rather than a liquid. So the Mishnah asks, Chalos Devash, honeycombs, from what point does the honey have the ability to become impure as a liquid? And essentially, from what point is it considered to be a liquid for the sake of causing Hersher as well? Now, although food is also able to become impure, there are many differences between food and liquids with regards to their impurity. For example, there are many stringencies, midrabonon, that apply to liquids. If a liquid touches even a shani latuma, it would become impure as a rishon latuma, which is very unusual for something to become impure more than the source of impurity that made it impure. So as long as the honey is attached to the honeycomb, it's part of the honeycomb, it's considered to be a solid. Once it is detached from the honeycomb, it is a liquid, but the Mishnah wants to define at which point exactly it changes from having the status of a solid to a liquid. Bishamai, I remember Bishamai say, from the point when one heats up the honeycomb in order to make it easier to extract the honey from it, Already from that point, it is considered to be a liquid because it's about to be extracted and it's been changed in a way that makes it fit to be extracted. However, Basil and Basil say it's only Mishirasek when he actually crushes and extracts the honey. Only once it actually leaves the honeycomb does it become a liquid. Mishnah Yud Beis, the final Mishnah of the Masechta, of the Seder, of Shisha Sidre Mishnah. And the truth is that some actually understand that we've already finished the Masechta. We can already say Mazel Tov now, because many understand that the final Mishnah is actually something that was added on later on. It's not a part of the official text of the Mishnah. This is subject to debate. Either way, the subject matter of this final Mishnah is not really related to Maseches Uktsin. It's rather an ending note to finishing Shishal Sidri Mishnah, which essentially is the core of Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah that has been handed down from generation to generation. And this Mishnah teaches that Omar Bishwab and Levi, Rabbi Shwab and Levi says, Osir HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lahanchil Chol Tzadik 
in the future, Hashem is going to give over to every single righteous person. Shleishmiris v'asora olamais, 310 worlds. The future is referring to Olam Habar, the world to come, and the Mishnah brings a proof for this. Shinema, as the Pasuk says, Lahanchil Oyhavayesh, to give over to the ones that love me. Yesh, I will give over Yesh to the ones who love me. Yesh literally means there is. Over here it's in the form of a noun. So there's, a, there's something called Yesh, a, a true reality, a true existence. Something that is an intrinsic reality. And this is referring to Olam Haba, the world to come. And I will fill up their storehouses. Now the word Yesh has the numerical value of 310. Yud is 10. The, um, Shin is 300. In total that gives a numerical value of 310. So this is the source of Rabbi Shram and Levi's statement that Hashem will give over in Olam Haba to each and every righteous person 310 worlds. There are many different interpretations for the deeper meaning of this statement. But the point is that those who learn all of the Torah, those who have reached the end of Shisha Sajjai Mishnah, and those who observe all of the laws that are taught by Tersh Balpeh, which guides every moment of our lives, will merit such great reward in Olam Haba in the world to come. Omar Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta, Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta said, Hashem didn't find any vessel that is able to hold and receive blessing for the Jewish people, except for peace. As the Pasuk says, Hashem Hashem will give might to his people. Hashem Hashem will bless his people with peace, which some understand based on this Mishnah really. And what the mission is coming to say is that we can read it not only that Hashem will bless his people with peace, but that Hashem will bless his people in peace. Meaning peace is the vessel that contains all of the other blessings. Hashem will bless them and the blessings will, so to, be, so to speak, be placed into this vessel of peace that is able to receive the blessings. If we haven't got the peace that sticks everything together and keeps the Jewish people united, then there's no way for the other blessings that Hashem wants to shower upon us to be received. And this is also a worthy end to Shishal Sidri Mishnah, to show that it might be that there are many different arguments throughout the Mishnayis. However, ultimately, these are not personal arguments, they're arguments in order to reach the truth, to reach the correct understanding and the correct laws. And ultimately, it's specifically through these arguments that are L'Shem Shomayim, for the right reasons, that the greatest ultimate peace can be reached. Mishnah, we will return to you. Hadron is Aramaic for we will return to you, Mishnayas, we'll go over, we'll do Chazaras, we'll do another cycle of Mishnayas. And there is an additional meaning to the word Hadron, which comes from the word Hodor, beautiful. We're exclaiming how beautiful the Torah is, how beautiful the Mishnayas are. Mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov, what an incredible, incredible, beautiful achievement.